Hi everyone and a very warm welcome to this episode of the Learning Journeys podcast from Lacuna Learning. We hope you're all keeping well and in this very special episode of the podcast we are thrilled to be joined today by Colin Kelly. Colin is a public relations and communications professional. He's also a PR trainer as well as somebody with a massive passion for sports. He has had a really interesting and varied career as a journalist and radio presenter in a number of different environments including Clyde One and BBC Scotland so you may well recognise his very distinctive voice. Growing up, he was an age group swimmer, and I'll let him tell you the story of where that went and how he's ended up back in love with his sport again. I met Colin a couple of years ago now, actually, on a Sports Scotland podcast training course, of all things. And it was during that podcast I realised how good the media professionals are compared to average punters like me. He also very kindly didn't make me listen back to my First attempt at recording a voice in front front of the whole class, which I am still eternally grateful for. He is almost always on the other side of the podcast, but with an amazing story to tell, I'm delighted to have convinced him to move to the other side of the mic today and get him to share his own story and his own journey. Thanks so much for your time, Colin. Hey, my pleasure, Doug. It's good to be here. And uh, I'm glad that course was useful that day. It's great to see what you've done with the with your new podcast skills. It's a, it's a good lesson. I've enjoyed quite a few of your episodes. Thanks, Colin. I think we're still all um, in the wake of the professionals when they do it, but thanks for, for being so kind. As you know, we have a nice, easy warm-up for our guests on the podcast, so I'm interested in where you're going to go with this. If you could go on an adventure anywhere in the world, where would you go, who would you go with, and what would you do? I would go to Japan and I'd go with my wife, Emma. We've been in Japan before. My brother lived in Japan. My brother and his wife lived in Japan for about three or four years. And we went and visited them on a couple of holidays uh, for a couple of weeks at a time. But only ever saw a fraction of the of the country. And it was very much kind of based around the, the, the cities or just outside Tokyo. Um, but so enough of it to know that I'd love to to see more and probably go... If I went just my wife and I, we, we would go more, maybe more off the beaten track and maybe go for longer as well uh, and explore Japan in more detail. I uh, was just fascinated by it, really enjoyed it. So, yeah, go back there. So we've had a lot of um, responses for Asia, but that is a first for Japan. It's a good one, obviously, with Tokyo uh, Olympic Games, Paralympic Games next year, we hope. Um, that's, that's a pretty good one, actually. So um, you didn't disappoint, Colin. Uh, I wasn't sure where you were going to go. I thought you might have come up with something... <laughs> Uh, even more unusual, but that was a good one. I'm I'm not a huge um, I'm not a huge traveller. It's it, any 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 travelling that I've done, I've really enjoyed. But it but it's not something that I have a huge hunger for. And like I know there's oh, there's obviously huge parts of the world I don't know at all. But I think it's quite boring going back somewhere. But maybe doing it in a bit more detail. Okay, very good. Listen, at some point, I want to learn more about your work you do now and your work in media and so on, just an environment, a world that I know literally nothing about. Most of our listeners are interested in sport though, and I know how passionate you are about sport. So why don't we start there? Where did your journey in sport start? And I guess, where did it go? And where, where is it now? Yeah, well, my chosen sport is swimming. And my first memory of swimming is learning to swim while my mother was pregnant with my brother, or maybe when my brother was a very young baby. And my dad would take me swimming and it was something my dad and I would do together um, at the Commonwealth Pool in Edinburgh, which is near where, where I grew up. I grew up in Pennycook. So, that, so that's where, where we went. And um, I, I learned, so I must have been three, three years old, learning to swim, always enjoyed it. 
And then um, when I was about maybe six years old, I've got asthma. And at the time, the feeling was that, well, if you do more, swimming can help asthma, which which I think is true. And a lot of of swimmers have asthma. Um, And there was an asthma swimming club in Pennycook. So I went along there once a week. And that was... That was my first taste of that they like a couple of times a year there was a there was an event there was some sort of swimming gala and there was this competitive element. Then when I was so I did that really enjoyed it and then when I was nine we moved from Pennycook on the east coast of Scotland through to Renfrewshire Houston and Renfrewshire over on the west coast and my mum was a school teacher and she used to work beside the a guy called Jim Park who was a ended up I think going to the Seoul Olympics as a Team GB swimming coach. And he, she knew him and she knew that he'd run this um, Paisley swimming club. So I went I went along there at, at nine and went in. And I remember my first, I had to go for like a trial session. And the trial session, the only time he could, he could see me was while he was coaching the top squad. So I was nine years old, turned up with this sw- swimming pool, tiny, frail, little, <laughs> little wee guy, nervous as anything. And here's like, you know, Campbell McNeil and Jill Ewing and Arlene Ewing and these elite athletes who, who, who went on to Commonwealth Games powering up and down. And I just remember walking along, tiptoeing along the poolside and one of the women going, oh my God, look at the size of him. <laughs> and just feeling really, really small and, uh, and bad. And then, and then I got in the water and it took me probably about a minute to do a length. So that was that was my brush with top squad, <laughs> and then I got I got put obviously in the in the I think the C squad or the bottom squad or whatever, t- two or three times a week, and that was that, that was the start of it, getting into Paisley Amateur Swimming Club as as it was at the time, and uh, it just grew from there. Wow, I'm laughing for loads of reasons. I mean, apart from that being an absolutely brilliant story, uh, one I will tell again in the future. I think um, Alan Lynn, who's obviously now national coach, was on the podcast right at the start. I'm 99% sure that his original club was also Paisley. I'll have to check the pause, but I think it was. Yeah, I think so. Paisley became Ren 96 after the sort of local government reorganisation. That was that was the very point when I left. Um, was when it changed. I was so I was 18 at that point. I, I left just as it changed over to uh, to Ren 96. So so there's quite a few uh, coaches who've come through sort of in the time I was out of the sport. And I, I think yeah, I think Alan was uh, was among them. He never coached me, unfortunately. Well, he talked very fondly about his experiences as a young swimmer going through that environment and everything else. It's just interesting that apparently all roads lead there in swimming. So. Presumably there was there was some progression from the being slightly out of your depth, excuse the pun, with the Olympic swimmers. There was some progression. What what was that journey like for you? Yeah, I was um we I was going like a couple of times a week, really enjoying it. Um, that was in one of the school pools in in Renfrewshire, and then during the Easter holiday, when I was like I was just nearly ten years old, and during Easter holidays, the the training was on every day, and my squad sort of merged for the Easter holidays with the with the step up, squad up. And there's a guy called David Nichols who was who would be the coach every day for two weeks. And uh, I w- just was captivated. It was like, it was a step up. Everybody, the guys were a little bit older than me. It was more serious. I think, you know, I, I, there was some other people swimming with me at the time that, that put them off and they sort of drifted away from it. But for me, that really captured my imagination and I was really sold on it. I just loved this coach. Uh, Mr. Nichols, and um, and and then sort of graduated into into the other squad that he ran, 
And then it was like six times a week, including the early mornings and more competition um, for the next, probably the next sort of three or four years under under him. Uh, that was that was the kind of best best time of it for me doing like the district competitions. And there was always the conflict with, you know, schoolwork at that age. But um, but yeah, I loved it. And I remember at that, at that age, at that time, what all I wanted was to swim. And I thought, I thought I was going to, that would be me. I thought, you know, if you could be a professional swimmer, that's what I'd be. It didn't quite work out like that, but certainly that kept me occupied for the next three or four years at least. Okay, wow. So why don't we do it slightly differently today, I think, just given the way that journey is going. At some point, that swimming journey petered out a wee bit and you went off and, and got your career and then you came back to your sport. Why don't you tell us a bit about how, I guess, how that swimming journey, I guess, petered out a wee bit and maybe how that professional journey started. And we'll come back to swimming at the end. Well, I think swimming is a sport that requires a huge amount of commitment. And when I was in my sort of early teens, I was pretty clear that what I wanted, I, re- I realised swimming wasn't going to be a career, much much as I loved it. And I, I was really interested in, in radio and radio presenting and being a, a music presenter on the radio. And that's really, di- it was really still is, it's very difficult to get into and so I started doing, I started getting involved in hospital radio. I started running uh, mobile discos in the local area. I started helping out at my local radio station in, in Paisley. And that was taking up more and more of my time. And I, and I saw myself, I, I just, I guess I just sickened myself with, with swimming. The other big change was there was a change of coach. And uh, David Nichols, who had been my coach, he, I think he started a family, could no longer give it the commitment that, that he knew it required. And the other coach just didn't quite, it just wasn't the same. Some of my friends had drifted away. The club had then merged with Barhead Dolphins. More of our training was in East Renfrewshire. It was in pools like Barhead and Neilston. There's a commitment there from your parents as well, obviously. And um, I guess I just sort of saw myself going backwards. <laughs> you know, I, I was like 14, 15, and the kid that had come in at like nine or 10 started beating me. And I, I thought, what, what am I doing here? And, and it became more, I guess, more of a social thing. I was spending more time chatting to my friends than I was actually concentrating on the, on the swimming. And it's just that thing that I guess happens to a lot of people in their, in their mid-teens, mid to late teens, is that there's other, other there's not even distractions. There's just other things that you want to do, other, other priorities take over. And that was me. And I felt I'd done enough of it. And if I never swam again, frankly, it would be too soon. And I had enough and it came completely away. Had my career in, in radio and broadcasting, achieved what I wanted to do and um, got married, started a family of my own and then was running my business. And one of my clients was Sports Scotland, as you mentioned in your introduction, I was doing some podcasting training for, for Sports Scotland or it might have been social media training that day. And someone from Scottish Swimming was on the course and I mentioned it's nice to work with Sports Scotland. I, I did age group swimming. And she said, oh, how do you do master swimming? And I didn't even know what that was. I didn't have a clue about it. So she told me about master swimming and I kind of dismissed it. I wasn't up for that at all. But then maybe about a year after that, my asthma got quite bad. I got a chest infection. I was pretty ill for about a month. Horrible, flat in my back, cancelled work. And I thought, this can't go on. I need to get fit again. And I remembered what she'd said about the master swimming. So then I looked up the club I'd been in or what it had become, Ren 96. And sure enough, they had a master squad. So I thought, I'll go along and try this. And again, absolutely loved it. It came back immediately. You know, the bug came back immediately. Cracking coach, 
great people. You know, one of the best things I've ever done. I would recommend master swimming to, to anybody. And then that, and that competitive element came back as well. So they have events two or three times a year. Obviously not, not this year. It's been, you know, horribly disrupted. But the last sort of three or four years, two or three times a year I would compete as well. And um, it's, it's challenging with work and family commitments. Um, but, you know, the, there was a period where I was going maybe three or four times a week. And as soon as I can, I'm going to try and get back to that. It's, it's really interesting. I think probably a lot of our listeners can probably relate to that, having had some kind of competitive sporting career background and then career, family, kids, whatever gets in the way and then you come back to it. And I suppose I'm just making that journey back now, but maybe a wee bit short of that. But it's really interesting and how wonderful that you came back to the sport you loved and almost had had enough of a rest from it to remember why you liked it in the first place. Yeah, but and, and also it's really, I think it's really good that these opportunities exist. I think um, I know. I know it's challenging for Scottish swimming and for the clubs sometimes to run master squads, and and perhaps they're not as widely promoted as as everybody would like. Um, you know, it, it's just it's resources, isn't it? It's time, it's coaching, it's pool time. It's a challenge. But all all I can say is that it's something that I'm really glad, really glad that I found. So I'd love now, if it's okay, to explore a bit of your career. I suppose what I'm most interested in is having had that amazing background, getting up early, swimming, the discipline, all the things that come with that. You were then doing hospital radio and all the things I suppose we would assume you would go and do in the line of work that you now do. How did what you learned in swimming and in that environment help you as you began that journey uh, into what you do now? I guess any any sport any relationship with the coach and uh, coach pupil or coach athlete relationship, I think it's one where personal responsibility. So when I was starting out in my career and trying to get into radio, I knew no one's going to give me this on a plate, but I can go and get it. And I think working hard as well, hard work is rewarded in sport. And, and again, very much had that, I always had that work ethic and enjoy it. You know, when I, when I was swimming, I enjoyed, my mum and dad didn't, but I enjoyed getting up at half past five to go to go and train because I knew that most other people didn't, right? So straight away, you've got that uh, advantage. And I guess in my journalism and my broadcasting work, looking for the things that other people aren't prepared to do and then and then doing that, because it is so it is so competitive. You have to, you know, going the extra mile is a, is a given almost, you know. So I think growing up, being prepared to do that and, and perseverance, like you know that it's not going to happen immediately for you. It's not going to happen straight away. It might not even happen at all, but it's still worth doing the journey, uh, being part of it. The pursuit of it is, is rewarding. And I was never, you know, looking back at I might have deluded myself for a little while, but as a swimmer, I was never going to win. I mean, I wasn't even winning. I was getting into the West Districts. There wasn't even beyond that. I, I wouldn't. I wasn't winning much. I wouldn't have been on the kind of development pathways as they as they have now or anything like that. And and frankly, you know, it was the same in my radio career. I, you know, I, I had a quite high profile slot on on Radio Clyde for four or five years. I got into Radio Scotland and had a, and did some programs there. I did, I did work on television as well, but it, the fun of doing it was always about the fun of doing it, rather than the the status or the stature. Which I think is why when when it stopped being fun or when I felt it had reached its natural conclusion, I was able to come away from it rather than some people where they're desperately 
clinging to it. And I, and I think that all came from the swimming. I think swimming gives you a self-esteem and a sort of an independence of, of mind, which has kind of guided me through a lot of my life. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I noticed there that you, you know, you stepped away from your swimming kind of when it stopped being fun, when it stopped being something you wanted to do. And I noticed you carried that over into your professional career as well, that uh, you had this amazing career doing this really cool stuff and like things we would all have heard of and listened to you on and seen you on and stuff. And so actually when that's no longer fun, I'll step away. I'm really interested for people like me who don't know that world at all. What were some of the high points for you in that journey? What, what, what were the most fun bits and most interesting or coolest stuff you ever did? At Radio Clyde sent me to New York for a few days, which is which is amazing. I've never, I'd only, I've only been that that one time, and uh, a certain local authority funded the whole thing, which was it was even better. We had this hotel right just off Times Square. We got taken everywhere. Absolutely amazing. Loved it. Uh, we did a radio show from from New York, which was brilliant. Um, I was fortunate enough to interview people like Billy Connolly. A lot of politicians as well. Um, got to go to, I mean, was at the UEFA Cup final when Celtic were were playing. Not, I'm not a huge football fan, but it was still, you know, these events, these occasions, these situations to be part of. And I think from the kind of news journalism side of it, I think getting to see how things work, being able to interview, you know, prominent politicians and I guess sort of see behind the scenes with, with things. It was great. When, when I, I went back, I did some more stuff with the BBC, actually. They, they, they did a, a pop-up radio station for the Commonwealth Games when they were in Glasgow. And I did quite a lot around all that as well. Interviewed athletes from all over the world and some of the fans from all over the world as well. And the whole sort of cultural side of the Commonwealth Games as well was was, was great. So I guess that's, you know, that that's really enjoyable. And, and also this feeling, I mean, Radio Clyde, even now, has a huge, huge audience, huge audience around Glasgow in the west of Scotland. And that feeling of being able to go on air every day and make a connection with these people and, and, and invite them on and hear their stories and share my own take on things. That's what I loved about it, that connection. And as radio got more and more uh, commercialised and more controlled, that was getting eroded to the point where other people were telling you what to say. And that, that's where it stopped being fun for me. And they start trying to control what you say and the amount of advertising that you had to, you know, that you had to play as well. Yeah, I just I got what I wanted from it and moved on, moved on to the next thing. But it, it was great fun. Really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, I can hear that kind of like childlike enthusiasm still in your voice for those amazing things you did and got to talk to Billy Connolly. I mean, if you just said that, that would have been a good answer to that question, I think. Mm. I'm really interested because you're in a very unique position as someone who has legitimately done the hard work in sport. You're up at five in the morning swimming as, as a teenager and we all know that's hard work. And you've gone and done some really cool stuff in, in media. What, what do you think sport and business can learn from each other both ways? Well, I think... Um... People talk a lot in, in business about the value of a mentor. And I think that coach relationship as an athlete is, is, has a bit of that in it. I think, um, sport teaches you that, that there are a lot of people in, in sport that enjoy giving their time. The amount of sporting events that wouldn't run without volunteers. A lot of coaches, very good coaches are not paid terribly huge amounts of money. There's, there's, there's people in sport that do it because they love it. They do it for the good, the, the greater good. They do it because they enjoy helping. 
And I think when, when I talk to clients in business, sometimes they think that everyone else is a competitor. And the, the, you know the, the shutter comes down, and you avoid your competitors. You don't talk to them. And I, I try and say to them, "Well, look, you know, you might find that people are happy to collaborate with you, and you can work together on things." And so, I think for me, you know, sport really shows me that the world is a good place. <laughs> you know, and and so why why wouldn't there be some of that in business as as well? And I think if you found it in sport, then you you maybe you know to look for it in in business. And I think a lot of the mindset stuff can be similar as well. I mean, we, we hear a lot about motivation and goal setting. And I think there's a lot of people in business, they don't understand how to properly set goals. They don't understand about things like outcome goals and process goals and all, all these things a good coach would, would tell you. So I would, like, I would like business to have more input from sport and that's sports coaching rather than what I think it has a lot of Business gets a lot of just the motivational gurus, and I think motivation on its own isn't enough. Whereas the sports coach route, I think, is a much uh, smarter way of of working. Oh, there was a lot in there. This happens on the podcast sometimes. At this point, I'll just encourage the listeners to just rewind about a minute there and listen back <laughs> because there was a huge amount in there. I've written down a couple of things, and one thing I just want to pull on you talked about um, this idea of competitors versus collaborators and you said sport shows me the world is a good place um, and this idea of, of motivation how do we properly motivate people and set goals and work hard for them and how do we coach people you also briefly talked about mentors and I'm dead interested in this you clearly had some wonderful coaches in your sporting journey I'm wondering did you have any mentors along the road in your media journey and, and what did they kind of offer you in terms of that that support yeah, I mean, I've, I've never had a formal mentoring relationship, um, but there are people that I've been fortunate enough to work with. I mean, one of the jobs I had was I, w- I worked at a radio station called Real Radio, which was owned by The Guardian, and they were very big into, I guess, succession planning and developing and management development. They put me on a 12-week course of management training. And the program director was a guy called Jay Crawford, a very experienced radio presenter. Um, I definitely sort of sought out, or I was going to say sought out his advice. I think he just volunteered it. He was just one of these guys that just would volunteer advice. And I, you know, I was quite happy to, to soak it up. And, you know, probably there was a lot of times maybe where I would think that I was in the right or I knew best. And then Jay would say his bit and I would, on reflection, learn that he he was was correct there was uh, i mean i worked with a uh, had a news editor called heather kane we had we were fortunate enough to have um sometimes outside speakers with a guy called jack irvin who was a very a very well-known newspaper editor in the in scotland uh, he came in and did some training um so it, it was never a formal mentoring arrangement but i was fortunate enough to find these people and work with these people from time to time and 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 be, I think because because I knew what made a good coach for, for me in, in my swimming, when I saw these same qualities in other people that I worked with, I recognised them straight away and I guess kind of, hopefully not, not in an obvious way, but kind of latched on to them and soaked up as much as I could. At Radio Clyde, a guy called Paul Cooney, um, who presented the Super Scoreboard, again, a very well-known media figure. And I guess you're just soaking up as much as you can from from these people, people with a with an energy, people that enjoy developing the next the next generation, 
And I think people with a with a broad range of of skills as well, you know, they're not so self obsessed with just their tiny little bit of it, but they see the bigger picture. And I was really lucky through my sport and through my media career. I only ever had a good experience, pretty much with everybody around me. Certainly, people more senior to me. And I, and I hear, unfortunately, you know, you do hear of people who who don't have such a good experience. They're not given opportunities, or they're kept down, or they're they're held back. You know, um, but for me, it was it was always really positive, and I'm very grateful for that. No, oh, there's there's so much in there. I've written down something. So this this term, a critical friend, and I, I'm certainly someone that has accumulated those throughout my life. So people who are on the one hand, they're on your side and they're 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 rooting for you. They want you to be successful, but they're also allowed to tell you when you're when you could do a bit better, when you need to maybe a clip around the ear or told, "Come on now, you can do you can." better than that and it sounds like you kind of did the same thing in that world that you accumulated these great people that, that could support you on your journey we could undoubtedly carry on talking for the next hour and be nowhere near getting to this journey but i feel we should probably just pause there and maybe get you back and again in the future a few things that i just i've written down that people might be interested in this notion early on that for you you were you said you were captivated and that something just really captured your imagination um so i've kind of written that down uh you talked about um things you learned from sport to business, this idea of personal responsibility. You knew that no one was going to give it to you on a plate. I was going to have to go and work for that and persevere with that. I think there's a lot a lot in there. And when things stop being fun, stop doing them. That's something I sort of smiled at when you said it, but it definitely resonates with something that I do. And then just, yeah, this idea at the end, this idea of latching on to good people, people that can help you mm. on that journey and help you, help you to progress forward. So thanks so much for your time. Listen, a lot of people in sport might not know a lot about you, but probably want to know a bit more about you now. Where can we follow you? Where can we get an eye on what you're about? Yeah, so I'm a Twitter user, and I'll warn you in advance that maybe I do sometimes tweet without thinking, which goes against all the advice I give I give clients. <laughs> so apologies if there's anything you don't like there, but I'm at Colin Kelly on Twitter. And uh, the business that I run is called Comsteria. Uh, we help organizations communicate more effectively. My wife's in the business with me. She does uh, video production, video training. Um, so yeah, comsteria.co.uk for work stuff as well. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Colin. Uh, so everyone, give him a follow. I'll put the link in the description for the podcast. I hope you've all really enjoyed it. I had an absolute ball doing that conversation with Colin. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. Do keep an eye out for future podcasts and obviously hit subscribe to make sure you never miss out. And at the moment, everybody, please stay safe. 